Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, we recorded less than a week ago, but it feels like we recorded at least two weeks, maybe three weeks ago, because so much has happened in the seven days since we've recorded. Um, it, it's also been a time when the Mets have not lost since we last recorded. This might be the first time in the history of our podcast that we have recorded two shows without a loss in between. <laughs> not that the Mets haven't gone on win streaks, but just I can't remember specifically you know, this occurrence happening uh, with the podcast. Right, yeah, you think back to those winning streaks that they had in, in April, um, but those, I think, predated us doing this show, even though they don't feel like they were that long ago. <laughs> April of 2015, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, that was definitely before we were doing this show. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the the crazy winning streak early. Right. Then the fall back down to earth over the course of three months, and then the cesspitus arrival. Right, you know? right, yeah. <laughs> All of which does not feel old, but uh, it is older than this show. Yes, so, uh, so yeah, it, it's been an interesting been an interesting week uh you know from for a lot of different reasons but let's start with the seven game winning streak how do you feel i mean you know i hate to keep adding qualifiers at a certain point we just have to admit this team is good right but right the, the team won seven games with only i think twice scoring more than four runs the the, the a couple of the wins have come in very bizarre fashion but you know generally how do you feel about the state of the mets right now after a seven game win streak occupying first place in the National League East and generally looking pretty good right now. Uh, it feels good. And uh, three games over four runs, technically. Okay. Okay. Only only because I have the schedule up. But I know when they talked about it on the broadcast today, they, they were focused on that four-run mark because now the Mets are 15-2 and two when they score four runs or more yes. in a game this year, which is um, uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I feel good. Uh I still feel like the offense isn't firing on all cylinders. I still feel like the rotation, I think, you know, what they've gotten out of these guys has been so good. And any of the possible, like, like come, coming back down a little that you might see with Stroman or Walker, and, and look, that might not happen. Everybody's adjusting. It's the first full season since 2019. Uh, Major League Baseball, you know, announced that they were making changes to the ball to try to sort of rein in the home runs. So uh, I don't want to say definitively that anything's going to go in any particular direction, but if those guys don't maintain two, you know, one point something or two point something ERAs for the entire season. Uh, some of that will be offset by uh, the pitchers who are returning. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, you go back to last week, and I think one thing with the bullpen and pitching in general, um, you can feel a certain way about stuff, which is just easier to see it with pitchers than it is with, with like, a hitter swing. We know Francisco Lindor got off to a slow start. We, you know, we know his swings didn't look great. But the bullpen continues to be encouraging because, you know, unlike a hitter, I can look at Edwin Diaz or Trevor May um, or, or any number of other guys and just see, oh, wow, you know, D 
Diaz threw that pitch 101 and it and it moved. Right. Uh, you know that that kind of thing. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, this is always easy to say when a team has won this many games in a row. I think and, and five in a row or more. It's hard not to feel great about a team. But there were a couple wins in this stretch that had that like, oh, you know, you you get that feeling that you just can't count them out, uh, which is the best feeling you can have. You know, they haven't had that for the entirety of this season, but there's been a little bit of that lately. And there's nothing more fun, I, I think, uh, as a baseball fan than when you have your team always feeling like there's a chance – you know, blow, complete blowouts aside, but always feeling like there's a chance late in a game that they're going to do something. And that's happened a couple times recently. Uh, and, and it's, it's so much fun. Uh, you know, we, we include those win probability graphs in our long recaps for every game. And we, we have included them for, you know, forever for the history of the site, basically. Uh, and when that roller coaster swings in the Mets direction, that's uh that's a lot of fun that's a good way to watch baseball absolutely yeah um i think one of the things that the team is doing right now and this is something that usually happens much later in a season like i remember in 2015 when it might have even been did they win the first game with cespedes when he came over uh I don't remember, man. Yeah, I don't remember. But it, it was it was after they got Cespedes and they got Kelly Johnson and they got um, why am I blanking? Um, fucking football. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, Juan Uribe. Juan Uribe. Thank you. Couldn't couldn't pull it there. Um, so the uh, when they when they got those guys on the team, it just felt like there were there lucky things started happening. And balls that would have bounced the other way in June were suddenly bouncing the Mets' way. And calls that would have gone the other way were suddenly going their way. And it just seemed like there was this like undeniable sense that things felt really good around the Mets. And I feel like last night's game gave me that same feeling. Although the Mets were down 2 nothing, I believe it was in the seventh inning when they scored the first run. Maybe it was the eighth, but you know, in the ninth inning, once once the first base runner got on base, it was like, okay, they can do this, and it just felt like all these little things went the Mets' way, and that brings us to you know Patrick Mazika, <laughs> no career hits, three RBIs, two walk off fielder's choices. Yeah, what the hell, man? Yeah, it's, I, I I love it. <laughs> it's great. He is going to be a bar trivia answer forever. Because yeah. of this, right? That that's just who he is. But it just seems like it seems like the Mazika stuff specifically feels like what happens to good teams when they're really rolling, where just the good stuff keeps happening, and that's what this feels like. I think it's too early to for that to for that to mean anything significant. But it feels really nice to feel that way right now. Oh yeah, and and Mazika is just. I think I was joking uh, at some point last night that rosters should be expanded to 27 just so he can stick around because <laughs> uh, just realistically based on the position he plays and, and, and track record and all that kind of stuff. And, and he seems self-aware enough when he spoke after the game. Um, 
he's probably not going to be on the active roster as injuries uh, heal and guys come back. And uh, even in the, in the shorter term, there's a chance he could get option just because he is, you know, a catcher. Uh, he's played a little bit of first base, but he's, he's not someone who's likely to be on the team for the majority of the season. But when you get that small, uh, you know, small role kind of guy and, those things happen it is just the best <laughs> i know um the crowd <clears throat> gave him a nice ovation today at city field which which is pretty great um to even make it to major league baseball and and honestly if this was his entire major league career getting there is a hell of an accomplishment and to get there and be able to do stuff that in, makes you this endearing uh player and, and character for fans uh, especially with his gigantic hipster beard and you know semi-hipster uh glasses that he uses during the game and uh i had you know. said in uh in amazing avenue slack last night that i felt like uh Mazika looks like if jason phillips had to survive the zombie apocalypse for a couple yeah. of years, like he <laughs> trimmed down, grew his beard out, but you know, a similar look. Um, but yeah, you know, th- that that's the type of player that is probably never going to stick on a major league roster for more than an injury spell or, or maybe as a backup, but that doesn't even seem like a likely scenario for him. So fantastic vibes around him. Good for him. It's fun. Um, and like you said, expand the rosters so that he can be there every single game in case the bases get loaded. <laughs> yeah, as he has been walked now and had uh, and and uh, had a field of choice on the bases loaded situations, and then also last night with just two, just simply two men on, he still managed to to uh, have a fielder's choice for the win. Um, so let's talk about some of the other things that happened this week. Real quickly, the minor league season did begin this week. And so the Mets uh, teams at, um, I had to get this right now, Syracuse, Binghamton, and St. Lucie have started, correct? But Brooklyn has not? Or has St. Lucie also oh, no. started? No, no, no. All, all four have. All four have started. Okay. For some reason, I thought Brooklyn was, was delayed a little bit, but I could, I'm I'm glad to be wrong about that. Yeah, no, no. Uh, it, it always was. Right but now, it's not anymore. Yeah, um, so they were all just equally delayed by a month. Yeah, this year with the uh, pandemic procedures and and everything. But yeah, no, it's it is weird. I mean, it's if you had to pick, it, of course, I think eliminating minor league teams is a bad thing for baseball. But in that context, I'm glad that three of the teams are in New York. And, you know, one in Florida is only appropriate, uh, (laughs) even without spring training being the same home as the St. Lucie Mets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, we we don't have enough enough data yet to really say much, but we are every day at Amazing Avenue. We have a farm report looking at the how each of the affiliates did. So make sure we check that out if you're somebody who cares about the minor leagues, which you should be because – those guys are going to be future major leaguers. And uh, you're taking in your first minor league game, uh, was it tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we've talked a decent amount on on the show about 
where we are, what we're comfortable with, but fully vaccinated, um, going to get out, you know, bring my camera and that kind of experience seems like something that I, you know, will, will be relatively okay, especially for a weeknight game, um, in Binghamton, not that, you know, not that, uh, warm, not freezing, but not that warm, uh, shouldn't be that crowded. I would expect it wouldn't be that crowded even if the, everything was normal. So yeah, curious that it'll be the first other than, uh, some high school baseball that I've happened to see. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the first professional game that I will actually get to, uh, be at in person since the spring training games that we saw, um, in February, 2020. So hopefully it goes well. I, I think it's, it's a nice little test to see, okay, what's this like? There are other people around, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a mask on. I'm, I'm feeling pretty protected myself, but just a little bit of a weird process. So I, I know a lot of people have gotten out to at least one Mets game so far. Um, you know, just people who are, are on Amazing Avenue have, have gotten out there and, you know, you see it on a mess Twitter. Um, and I'm happy for everybody who's gotten to do that. And, and it's been really good for them. But for me, I'm, I'm kind of glad to be starting small and, and seeing how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that we're getting to the point now where everybody is starting to figure out what their personal boundaries are. And as long as people are respectful of that, it should be good. So I am very right. curious to see what the Mets game plan is for when everything is opened back up. Right. And they, they still haven't really said anything about um, what this next phase looks like. You know, they had the big press conference with the governor of the Yankees the Mets and the governor uh, made a big deal out of vaccinated sections that wouldn't have capacity restrictions in those sections uh, with vaccines required to be in them. But so far, and look, the Mets aren't home again until the 24th. So they've got some time between now and then the next game at City Field. But it would uh, behoove them to, I don't know, put something out there sometime soon to say, okay, here's what those sections look like. Uh, is is going to be half the ballpark is vaccination only, but unlimited capacity? Or is it going to be something different than that? You know, is it, I think the Padres, when they rolled out a similar plan, had, I'd say, a select few sections that were vaccine required and then the rest were distanced and limited capacity. And but, that would uh, be my preference personally. I would rather be distanced where I can control my my proximity to people versus a fully vaccinated section where everyone's on top of each other. Yeah. I think. I think yeah. I, I've kind of gone back and forth about this, but that's where I think I stand right now. Yeah. As somebody well, who's fully vaccinated. Right, right. And we've we've talked about standing room is also appealing because of the, you know, complete freedom. Right. Of not being locked into a seat. Yeah, yeah, I I think I lean more towards the only the only wrinkle here for for me 
and leaning toward the vaccinated section with more people in it is how they're actually handling that. You know, I, people are going to sneak into things and do stuff, you know, like that, that stuff happens all the time. So that, that's the part of me that, that goes, okay, I'm a little apprehensive about that aspect of it. If any, I don't know if they just said, look, there's a, <laughs> there's a divider at the rotunda. The third base side is vaccinated. Uh, the first base side is limited capacity and, and mixed. And there was the really like a hard check that you, you had to be vaccinated. That would be, you know, that would be uh, a little more comfortable, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Uh, one, so, one thing at a time, I guess. Yeah. So I, I, I am not going to reveal any pertinent details about this person, except that this did not happen at City Field. Somebody I know who is a, te- a fan of another major league team had a um, had tickets to to a game, and and this team required either a vaccination card two weeks after vaccination or a rapid test within six hours, and I forget what the what the PCR test was. And most ballparks are having a similar process, right? And so they went to they they had a um, rapid test scheduled. For something like 2 p.m. on the day of the game and they got to their place to be tested and the line was out the door and they said you know it's gonna be an hour wait and they couldn't do that and get to the game on time so they ran home scanned their vaccination card changed a number in it so that they're they were two weeks past but they were only actually in things like 10 days past made a copy of it brought that with them and got into the ballpark with a forged uh vaccination card right so now this person was was legitimately fully vaccinated just not 10 days past i mean just not 14 days past and tried in their tried their best to get a rapid test and i i'm not throwing my friend under the bus here but i think that there's lots of people who would do would would feel no guilt about doing similar things so that right. that's my concern with being in a fully vaccinated section is just that you're taking everybody at their word to do the right thing, and we've both been to games where we've sent where we've seen Mets fans that I wouldn't trust know how to tie their shoes, let alone <laughs> do the right thing morally about something. So you know that right. that's why I'm a little bit hesitant of those sections. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, no that that is. Uh... That's a very good point. Um, I don't hopefully, know. we'll see. Hopefully, we get to a point that everything's a little more comfortable. I mean, look the the numbers have come way down um, from where they were in January, coming out of the holidays. But <clears throat> the drop has been very gradual. I mean, we're we're almost at the middle of May, and we're still not down to where we were last summer. So it's it's been a a very slow decline. Um, which just makes it feel more drawn out. So I, I, I hope by, <clears throat> I don't know, July at some point we're, we're well over. I think the state just hit 50% of adults being fully vaccinated, which is good, you know, relative to how, how things are going in the world. That's, that's pretty damn good. But I just, I would love to see it get to a point that 
there just isn't much COVID spread happening in New York. Um, so that we can all vaccinated uh, as we are, you know, we, we can still think about it a little bit less, um, and go to a game and, and feel comfortable with it. Yeah. I, I think there's going to be, there, there'll be a couple of things that will have to happen for me to feel totally comfortable, but I'm starting to feel better about everything. I, I just on uh, Saturday had dinner with a friend outdoors, um, but it was the first time I had dined outdoors since last summer or last autumn rather, and uh, it didn't feel as bizarre as I thought it would. So I think I, I think I think we're getting there. You know, whether it's science that is holding us back or personal. Uh, preference or personal comfort you know but we're getting there but anyway that wasn't even even on our agenda so let's get back to, <laughs> let's get back to the baseball hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So there's a uh, there's an incident we have to talk about, and I don't really know how to segue into this. So on Friday, there was an incident in the field where it seemed like. Francisco Lindor was going to make a play, and twice it looked like Jeff McNeil kind of got in his way there. And in between innings, both men disappeared into the tunnel, going into the locker, into the clubhouse rather, and then emerged relatively quickly from it. And it appeared that there was some sort of a verbal probably not physical but we really don't know tussle between the two of them and afterwards it seemed like they had managed to bury the hatchet and the story that they were telling was that there was an animal in the uh in the <laughs> in the tunnel uh was it Lindor that said it was the raccoon or Lindor that said it was the rat Lindor started and he said it was a rat and then and then McNeil said it was a raccoon or even a possum, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> and so that has been the the sort of company line here, and it seems like the event really has been put behind them and that this little bit of, of humor brought the team together to a certain degree. It's silly, but I think it's kind of funny. I would rather them have fun with this and not make it into a uh, a big deal. We have a conversation coming out on Friday with Mike Puma, and Puma had said that he felt if they had just said, like, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse, it's no one's business but us, that he thinks that would have dropped the subject. But to me, that would have made everybody ask a million questions. Right, and uh, I don't know. I From our perspective, it's just it's a different experience, but... I don't mind guys having fun with it. I, there's no, the cookie cutter generic answer from an athlete is just not interesting. Um, and I, I think one of the things that's made, made this team likable is that they have a lot of guys who aren't that 
Um, Marcus Stroman is not your average pitcher when it comes to not only the way he pitches and, and prepares for the game, but the way he is on social media, the the way he speaks uh, when he speaks to the press. I don't know. I, I find, it, of course, a guy being a good player is going to be the biggest thing that drives how fans feel about him. But um, you have guys who just aren't saying those boring cliches. Um, and I think it's appropriate that, you know, we, and, and I, we wanted to talk about Matt Harvey too, coming back to city field, but I, I think it's appropriate that we're talking about this on the day that Harvey pitched at city field, because so much of what made him a superstar was that he, you know, that he had a little bit of that, that ego, you know, getting mm-hmm. out there, embracing being the superstar, uh, we love David Wright, of course. Yankees fans love Derek Jeter. Uh, they had a similar approach to being, you know, great players in New York City um, or, or anywhere, really. But I don't know. It's not always the most interesting approach. Like talking to David Wright about baseball when, when we got to do it was amazing. You know, that, that was great. Um, but on a day-to-day basis with quotes, always saying the right thing. I get why there's like, oh, I, I respect that. But I don't know. It. I think it's okay for players to have some emotions and personality and, and make light of things. They are playing a sport for a living after all, you know? it's. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I just thought it was silly. I pointed it out, uh, I think, that night or the, the morning after that uh, if you just removed the rat and the raccoon language from everything that they, that Lindor said in particular, you wound up with, yeah, Jeff and I had a disagreement. You know, he said, I said this, he said that. And, you know, to me, I was like, that's probably about what happened. Yeah. You know, we, a little skirmish. They, they, things were, they were kind of, running into each other literally in the field uh got heated for a minute and and i think there was some truth in those answers and just because there was also a bit going on with (laughs) with the uh animal disagreement didn't mean that there was no truth in in what they were saying um and you know clearly they had made up i think my favorite moment of the whole saga might have been uh when Lindor crashed McNeil's Zoom, I think the following night. Yeah, and gave him a hug. Yeah, because they both factored into that game. You know, they both did different things on offense to uh, to help the Mets score runs. And yeah, yeah, McNeil's up, you know, in front of the camera on Zoom, and and Lindor rushes in and just throws his arm around him, and and then says a couple things and gets out. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, uh, going back to what you said about sort of um, you know Jeter and Wright being sort of boring superstars, I definitely agree with that. I never understood why, if you talked to any writer who had written about the Yankees during the Jeter era, they always said that you know they respected Jeter so much that he always waited at his locker and always always gave you know, always gave him a quote. But I felt like did you ever listen to the quotes he gave you? They were nothing. He never said anything. All of his quotes were very milk toast and very you know well. We did all we could tonight, but you know the other team—they were just better. 
You know, when right. someone when someone's pitching that well, you know, you do what you can, but you know, it, it was it was never anything of substance. And, and I I don't know how people wrote about that every day because it seemed like there wasn't anything to write about. So to have guys that are willing to, I mean, even Alonzo, you know, Alonzo is somebody who, um, is not does not act as media trained as a lot of the other players of his generation act. You know, just, just even just him admitting the emotion he felt when Chili Davis was fired, you know, just the fact that he coined the LFGM slogan, right? All of those things are not standard ball player behaviors. And so anytime you get a player who can give you a more interesting quote, I would think as a beat writer, you'd be really happy about that. So I don't I didn't really understand the brouhaha over this rat raccoon thing, but that's okay. I don't yeah. have to understand it all. <laughs> and and one other thing too is you know it, I I didn't think he was um, too harsh in, in his responses and and maybe like mild criticism of everything. But when Zach Scott spoke about it, and uh, you know that's that's not how I would have recommended it. That's not how anybody in the organization would have recommended it. Like I I don't know I. My my wife's uh, one of one of the schools she went to had a connection to a, a, a general manager in Major League Baseball who did a Zoom recently. So, you know, alumni were invited to check that out, and uh, we threw that on, and I listened to it all, and it it, it was cool. Like uh, you know, but this is somebody who is uh, a, a front office executive, and it just sounds very polished and corporate and all that stuff so the people working in that world like the people in an office who are very much a part of you know running the team uh especially in the baseball operations side of things i i I get it but fans don't want to hear stuff that would sound good if 25 people looked it over before it was released to the public yeah um that's not you know, as much as there's been <laughs> debate, and, and now it's really outdated, archaic debate, but statistics and analytics and, you know, all that stuff and what's the effect on the game and everything and, you know, sort of the dehumanizing effect of it and, um, you know, resistance to things like an automated strike zone that might be a lot more accurate than than uh, an umpire behind home plate. Um Sanitizing personalities and quotes is way more of that to me than any of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about how you want to get younger people into the game. And I feel like if the players have personality, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that goes a lot longer of a way than, you know, having a man on second base to start extra innings. But... That's just me. <laughs> um, we brought up Matt Harvey, and I, I think it's important to talk about Harvey. So Harvey did not have a particularly good day on the mound. He gave up seven earned runs over four and a third innings pitched. But he was greeted very, very warmly by the City Field crowd, and I was very glad to see that. Although I think that Harvey a lot of times was his own worst enemy in New York, he represents a period of time that was so exciting and felt fresh and felt new. When, when when Harvey 
was the best pitcher in baseball in 2013, starting the All-Star game, all that. And Gary and, and Ron did an excellent job to end the broadcast of bringing up all of this. But when he was the, the superstar, it felt like New York had not seen a player like that with that kind of swagger since, I mean, I would say maybe the 86 Mets. You know, nobody on that 99 team was that, or 2000 team, was both that good and had that much swagger. Like, there were great players, don't get me wrong, and there were players like Ricky Henderson that have a lot of personality, but there was nobody that had that had bridged that superstar player, superstar personality um, Venn diagram, you know, that, that Harvey did. And I think people focus too much on the snafus, especially because most of the snafus were minor. And maybe this is me looking at things with rose-colored glasses because it's been a couple of years, but... I think Matt Harvey should always be applauded when he comes into City Field. Just like, you know, I remember when Piazza came back. And Piazza's obviously a very different player. But Piazza got, you know, a, a long extended standing ovation when he came back. Uh, I remember when John Franco came back for the first time. He got a nice ovation from the crowd. You know, this is the way that we should treat returning players. We often lament that we just root for laundry, but we also boo former Mets. So I was very glad to see the City Field faithful give Matt Harvey a proper greeting when he when he arrived on the, both at the mound and at the plate today. Um, what what sort of thoughts and emotions did you have seeing Harvey back in City Field? Yeah, uh, just it, it really was sort of echoing what they said on the broadcast. Um, on SNY, but it was just nice to see him go out there and uh, obviously he wasn't sharp uh, or, or at least not super effective, but to go out there and, and look at and, and say, look, you know, this is a capable major league pitcher still. And uh, that for all the drama, I think the things that people got worked up the most about early on, there the criticism started when it was like he was going to a Rangers game. Like, like how was that something that anybody complained about? You know, it, like, and it wasn't right, especially in the early going. I, it just seemed like there was a level of jealousy out there. You know, here's Matt Harvey with his supermodel model, uh, girlfriend and sitting in great seats and watching a Rangers game. Uh, <clears throat> no detrimental activity to his career or the team or anything. Uh, you know, obviously there were some moments later in his tenure with the Mets. Uh, any any clash over injuries or health, I'm inclined to side with the player, especially yes. knowing how how that culture was under the Wilpons and and how we've heard more about that since the team was sold. Um, but uh, you know, it, he he went out and and was a absolutely essential part of the 2015 season and for all the talk about innings limits and all that um i I think a big chunk of fans get very into uh you know they want everybody to to be a team player right and any any perception that uh, somebody isn't doing everything they possibly can for the team draws their ire but in the end, Harvey gave the 2015 Mets absolutely everything he ever could. Um, and 
you know, I, I've said this all the time, looking back at seasons like 2006, 7, 8, uh, 2015, even 2016, uh, you know, 16 wasn't on the level of those other seasons, but competitive baseball is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. And I still look back, you know, I remember those seasons fondly. I, I don't, you know, I, I would never ever think of them. Like I think of like the 2003 or 2012 Mets, um, Hey, the 2012 Mets had R.A. Dickey and a no-hitter, so... That, uh, true, true, yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Individual accomplishments can always be uh, embraced and celebrated, but yeah, I, Matt Harvey was electric, and I, I I think today showed that people have a proper appreciation of him, um, which is great. Uh, he, he didn't deserve anything other than cheers from the crowd when he came in uh, and when he left the field today. Um, and I think it's easy to forget how good he was and how electric it was at City Field when when he burst onto the scene because Jacob deGrom has just been um, pitching like one of the best pitchers ever in the years that have, you know, it started back then, but you know, the years since Harvey's as, as his declines going on, DeGrom is getting better and better and better. Um, it can make it a little e- easy to forget that, Hey, this was a guy who sure statistically, he wasn't, uh, you know, putting up prime Clayton Kershaw or prime Jacob DeGrom numbers, but he was very, very, very good. And up there among the best pitchers in the game, with a personality and and a, and a competitiveness to him that matched. Yes. I, I, one one thing, and I'm just remembering this now. There was, I think, early in the season that he had wound up having the surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, which was 2017, I think. Yeah, and it, you know you you struggled in the spring, but you're like, oh, okay, it's spring training, whatever. But uh, early in that season, there was a night that there was a fan nearby and, you know, he started to struggle a little and they were saying like, oh, see, he sucks. I told you he always sucked. Like, no, he didn't. <laughs> right. That That is false. Um, you know, so you get that. And I, I think... Sports can just be so much. What have you done for me lately? Yes. Um, and like you said, a few years now have passed, and uh, a pandemic has started and and gotten more under control, but is is ongoing. Um, time and and other things can give some perspective. I think. Yes, I I agree with all of that. Um. That is to say that I, I think if Matt Harvey comes back again to City Field, I don't know if his ovation will be quite as as big as it was this time, being the first time back. But I hope that fans continue to not be shitty and to properly greet former Mets as they return home. Um, and so the last thing we got to talk about here is just there's been a rash of injuries. So Jacob DeGrom... Has, is on the 10-day IL. He left Sunday's game with right side sore, uh, right side tightness, they called it initially, 
it's some some back stiffness. He doesn't seem too worried. The team doesn't seem too worried. There are three off days in between the day he was put on the IL and the day he will come off the IL. So he's really just missing one start, maybe two, depending how you um, you know how you look at it. But it's not like it's a a major uh, you know it's not like it's a it's a major loss in terms of games played. And he even said, you know, I didn't want this to turn into an injury that would last me for months, so I'm nipping it in the bud now. So I'm not worried about him. Albert Almora Jr., I mean, just, I don't know how to say it, smashed his face into the wall last night, almost making an incredible catch. He, he made the catch, and then when he slammed into the wall and dropped the ball, he uh, he lost the ball. But, you know, his they said that he has a, le- a shoulder contusion, but they're also watching him for concussion protocols just because of the intensity with which he smashed into the wall and then Jeff McNeil left last night's game with some general cramps and was out of today's game for the same reason these that seems like a purely precautionary move so even though these are three three injuries that happened are you particularly worried about any of these three um no I mean Almora I I still I mean, look, I, everybody was glad he could walk up under his own power and that the official diagnosis after getting checked out with everything is just a, a, a contusion of the shoulder. Um, I, I do hope that stays the case. Concussions are weird. I, you know, obviously, I can't say that he that he suffered one. Um, but it's I don't know. It's just so recent that I that I still have some concern watching from afar, you know, that, that, okay, let, I, I hope nothing shows up from that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I'm glad he's okay. And I just hope that, uh, that there's nothing ling- lingering or nothing surfaces that, you know, maybe they didn't quite catch or figure out. He just, he hit the wall so hard. Yeah. I mean, and with, it... with his, with his face, <laughs> like, Yes, <laughs> um, definitely one of the harder wall impacts we've seen in recent years. Yeah, and especially then on, with the face. <laughs> right, right, and then uh, with McNeil. When I first heard body cramps, I honestly thought maybe uh, you know he needed some time in the bathroom or yes. something. <laughs> yes. But he he didn't start today, so maybe it was more just like leg cramping, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if he doesn't start Friday or Friday and Saturday, then, then I'm, then I start to go, okay, something's you know. up here. Right. I, I get it. I mean, today was a nice, they, they got to put up a bunch of runs and give them the day off and, and have a nice easy win. So it was a really good day to get that extra day of rest and they've got the day of rest tomorrow. But yeah, if he's not back in regularly uh, in this Tampa Bay series, then it, at least I'd, start to think, uh, okay, maybe, maybe put him on the injured list, make sure whatever's going on is, is healed. Um, and then with DeGrom, uh, you know, the, the fact that the MRIs have been clean and there's nothing torn, you know, no, no issues of any significance. It was inflammation for the lat and I believe nothing for his back. Um, <clears throat> you, you don't want to see the best pitcher on, on the Mets 
who also happens to be the best pitcher in baseball. You don't want to see him dealing with anything. But the fact that they put him on the IL uh, was just so encouraging because the Mets just didn't do that. And and not that they're being super proactive about it now, but wait a few days, have a start, come out early. Uh, You know, for so many years, the next move would have been do the exact same thing again. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> waited waited two or three days. He did long toss. He threw a bullpen and went well. You know, his start is delayed. So maybe it's seven or eight days out from, from the previous one, and he goes out and, and does the same thing. Um and it was also encouraging that I, I know he he wasn't his totally dominant self, but even the guy who went out there and threw those five innings, um pitched really well and yes. and he was you know he was obviously not feeling 100 percent. so yeah no no uh major alarm bells ringing here uh, are you any more concerned about any of those three guys than than i am or no you know i, I i'm most concerned about Degrom just because of who it is right like if Degrom goes down for any significant amount of time that's a bummer for a, a variety of reasons. The other two guys that they had to hit the IL, the Mets have shown that their bench depth this year has been has been excellent. I mean, I know it's early to be saying that, but almost everybody who's on that bench has contributed to an important win or has been consistent. I mean, Pilar and VR have been about as good as you could ask regular subs to be. Just really, really excellent signings for the Mets. So I don't, I'm not worried about that. And, and I'll even say, when Carrasco and Syndergaard come back, if Degrom needed another IL stint, I, mean, I wouldn't be rooting for it by any means. But with those two guys in the rotation, I would feel a lot better. You know, it looks like maybe they'll be using an opener for the Degrom start. In a, you know, uh, I guess it'll be, will it be over the weekend? No, it'll probably be maybe Sunday. But with all the off days, who knows if they're even going to need that. Regardless, my point is this. If they're getting one bullpen game out of this, that's not the end of the world for DeGrom. If they're getting two bullpen games out of this, it's not the end of the world. Especially with Sean Reed Foley back up, who's looked very good so far. You know, I have confidence that the Mets can can weather this storm. Um, it also helps that this weekend we're supposed to get both J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo back from the I.L. And so that will help a little bit. We have not heard much about Luis Guillorme, except that it is rotation is still hard for him with his oblique injury. So he is likely going to be on the IL for a little bit longer, but with the Mets offense performing well and getting back two of, two of its important offensive pieces, I'm less worried about everyone else. Um, I don't think that's crazy. I think that's just about, I think everybody feels about the same way. I, I don't know anybody who's flipping out about DeGrom yet, but it's right. early and people do flip out about this stuff. So who knows? Yeah. Any other thoughts from the seven-game win streak you, you you particularly want to touch on before we get to our music picks? Uh, no, no. Just it's it's been a nice turnaround. I think um, it's easy to feel like the Mets are awful when things aren't going well, and like they're going to win the World Series when they are. Um, but it's just been nice that I don't know that they 
had that like, all right, just over 500, just under, you know, back to 500, back to a game under that little back and forth, a, a win streak, just putting some space between the number of wins and losses um, on your record. It, it It's a nice feeling. It, I don't know. It's a very long season, but you'd much rather be working from this position uh, than the opposite. Uh, you know, 13 and 17. Was it 18 now? It is you know, uh, 18 and 13, yes. Right, right. So 13 and 18 would feel all sorts of bad. Uh, and 18 and 13, uh, that, that feels pretty good. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's not a series coming up that I'm dreading. And, and you know, I know that the NL East in general has gotten off to a slow start. Um, but just seeing them play the, these teams, uh, I don't know. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers and Padres are stacked, and the Giants have gotten off to a great start. But they have not come across a team yet that made me go, oh, man, they, they cannot play with that team. Right. I mean, they got, they got swept by the Cubs, but that was more the Mets being bad than the Cubs being good. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, and you know. That also feels like the, 100 years ago. <laughs> oh, it totally does. And those things will happen. You know, you, you will lose some games to bad teams and, and beat teams that are better than you no matter what team you are. But um, I don't know. It just feels pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, more of this, please. Yes, Absolutely. All right, Chris, it is time for our music picks. What is your pick for this week? So uh, inspired by your, your your goal last week, and, and there have been a few that didn't, <laughs> that, that came out of, you know, or have been not this, but not all white dudes who play guitar. So uh, Dave Holland uh, is, is a really legendary bassist. Uh, in the, in the jazz world and and in music overall um you know he played with Miles Davis when he was young uh, is on some of Miles's records uh, and I've gotten to see him live a whole bunch of times and you know it, admittedly jazz in general is something that I listen to much more live uh than uh, than on records at this point uh but a really good one I, I think is uh, extended play live at Birdland. So that's my recommendation. Um, I think it came out in like 2003. And for many years, Nate Smith, who's a fantastic drummer, was playing with him. Uh, got to see them in a, in a quintet a few times and then a couple other formats. And I've seen him with other, you know, other musicians and, and uh, without Nate Smith over the years. But the two of them together... Uh, that that record was recorded a, a little bit before I think I saw him for the first time or saw them for the first time. But it just sort of captures it. Uh, and, it, you know, Birdland is not, unlike the Village Vanguard, Birdland is not in the space that it was always in. Um, but they do still, or did still, it's been a while now, uh, get legitimately good talent in there to, to play shows. So uh, that was sort of like his home when, when he would play New York city. Um, so yeah, fitting that it was recorded in that room. Um, it's, a, it's a double length album. So it's very, you know, 
it can give you something really good to listen to for for a long period of time. And uh, you know, I can't wait to get to see him again. So until you know, until that's possible in person, uh, I'm going to make a point to listen to this one myself. Well, that's uh, that's a def- that's definitely a uh, that that's a that's a good thing to look forward to is getting back to seeing some live jazz. Uh, like you, I love seeing jazz live. It is totally different seeing jazz in the room than listening on record. Even though I do I do love a lot of jazz records too, it's just a totally different experience. Um, so I am pivoting from white guys with guitars to white guys with keyboards for this week. Um, I, one of the things that I am obsessed with, it drives me crazy, but I think about it all the time, is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a bullshit institution. It's totally against the idea of art to have some people being better at art than others, but this is what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does. But I think about it all the time. And today, the inductees were announced for the 2021 class, and there were six people inducted, or six artists, rather, or groups inducted by like the the vote-in ballot. So Tina Turner, Carol King, the Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Todd Rundgren, and the Foo Fighters were all voted in by the people who vote for these things, which is a combination of journalists and critics and other inducted members. So if you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you get a ballot to vote for uh, for future inductees. But they they used some of the other categories this year to induct seven other people, and uh, they are really expanding what these categories mean. There's a category called um, early influence, and that's always meant like people, like blues musicians or really early rock and roll folks. But this year they're inducted two people, two different artists who are sort of early influences on modern music. The record still came out 50 years ago. The one I'm not going to recommend, but I do recommend you listening to is Gil Scott Heron. The one that went in for an early influence that I do want to recommend, though, is Kraftwerk, um, the German band that pioneered the use of synthesizers in something that kind of resembles rock and roll i would not necessarily call what Kraftwerk does rock and roll but it's you know it's close or i guess um but they are a uh, german band and they i believe their first record was 71 if i'm not mistaken and uh they when they performed live they would basically just have four or five people standing there at keyboards and would be pressing buttons and it's not really a they're not a band in the traditional sense of like we have a bass player and a drummer and we're you know setting a groove together everything is very quantized and very synthetic but so much music that is starting to get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame could not have happened without Kraftwerk so you get you know, there's no Depeche Mode without them. There's no Nine Inch Nails without them. There's probably, you know, going to be in the next 10 years, 10 artists going in that learned everything they know from one of their, from one of these records. And so the record I want to talk about uh, today is Computer World, which was their eighth studio album. And it's the first one that I personally owned. Um It has uh, one of their more popular songs called Pocket Calculator on it. And you have to realize, like, they were fully aware of the fact that this is weird and that this is kind of a shtick. So, like, a lot of the stuff is about computers and robots and calculators. And, you know, it's not like it's trying... They're not writing love songs, let's put it that way. And, um, but 
just really, really interesting music that broke down the doors for electronic music in the t- late 20th century. And I, I, I had been saying as recently as yesterday that maybe the most influential band to not be in the Hall of Fame was Kraftwerk. So the fact that they're in there is is now a very, very good thing. So um, Computer World, the 1981 record by Kraftwerk is my, my pick for this week. Nice. Yeah. I, I I almost went with another with another guitar band today, but I thought no, I just made a stink about this. I, I need I need to be <laughs> I need to go at least one more week without uh, <laughs> thinking a white guy with a guitar. So, um, well anyway, thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, we will return next week with another episode. Until then, go to amazingavenue.com. As we mentioned, we now have farm reports every morning, as well as game recaps, news analysis, all that fun stuff. Tomorrow launches a new. It'll probably be a monthly column, the Ilar or ER of the day, where we go through the last month's games and see if Jonathan VR or uh, or Kevin Pilar is the better Ilar of the day. Uh, so that should be fun. Hat tip to our friend Maggie Wigan for coming up with that on Twitter. Um, you can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this show and all the amazing avenue podcasts on stitcher spotify or apple music or wherever you get your uh, sorry, apple podcasts rather wherever you get your podcasts you can find this show uh please rate review and subscribe to it that helps us quite a bit chris is on twitter at chris mcshane i am at brian needs a nap and until next time let's go mets <laughs> <laughs>